With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin welcome the co-host of the Piston Pulse podcast and the Game Theory podcast, Bryce Simon. Bryce provides insight regarding the Pistons' rough season and why their fans might be frustrated, but also passionate about their team. This is a wonderful chat as Bryce also brings some insight into the Eastern Conference as well. The saga of this Monty Williams with this team, Kay Cunningham, and a lot more. Just want to make a quick note that this podcast was recorded before the February 8th trade deadline under some big trades that went down with Bojan Bajanovic and Alex Burks going to the New York Knicks. Um, this episode was recorded before that big trade took place. Just wanted to make that note. Hoopsology is presented by Ball's Life. And now, Bryce Simon. He is the co-host of the Pistons Pulse podcast and the Game Theory podcast. You're welcome, Bryce Simon, onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Bryce. What's up, guys, man? Thank you for having me. We've been talking about this for a minute. We timed it up perfectly because if it would have been a week ago, we would have talked about, hey, does Monte Morris get traded or not? And now we're recording on Wednesday evening and Monte Morris has been traded. So we can talk about what actually happened. So we timed it up perfectly. The world works in our favor on this one. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> timing. And we appreciate you coming on. We actually had your co-host on our show, I think. Do you have him once or twice, Matt? I don't remember. At least once for sure. I think um, once. Yeah, for sure. And we, we, I think the Pistons is historically, I would think, is one of the most historical franchises within the NBA. So we always like talking Pistons. Before we talk about the trade deadline, I, I want you to just take us through this season, <laughs> just from beginning to now, in terms of just what the media, like the national media portrays the Pistons to what's actually happening within Detroit, within this organization. We realize we know what the record is. We know what's going on. But within this organization, is it as gloomy as as bad as people say? Or, hey, this is part of the rebuild process. We know the record's not great. But are the fans, like, willing to be patient about this? Like, what's the actual story going on with the Pistons as opposed to just the national narrative that, you know, fans see on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, it's not good. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, the, the record is what it is. The fan base is frustrated. And I'll tell you guys, part of the issue, not the issue, part of why is the last three years, we knew this team was rebuilding, right? Like Blake Griffin got bought out. Derrick Rose got traded. And it was like, hey, we're essentially tanking, however you want to say it, right? And in Detroit, Troy Weaver coined it restoring. They wanted, we were going through a restoration. And so you understood why they didn't win games. And Cade Cunningham was hurt. And I think last season, maybe there was a thought of maybe they'll start to win games, but Cade missed most of the year. They were trying to win games this year. Like everything that came out of the organization, all of that was this team was going to, I thought play-in was rich, but they were going to improve on the 17 wins and it did not happen. Some injuries played into that. Some miscalculations played into that. I don't know that they had the roster that Monte Williams wanted to coach as we're starting to see, I think that round into shape as I'm sure we'll talk about. I think any hope guys is still in Cade Cunningham, 
Jaden Ivey, who's had a really good year once he finally got in the rotation. That's a whole that's a whole podcast unto itself. Jalen Duran, Asar Thompson, even Marcus Sasser has had some good moments. So I think that's where the hope lies. But man, it's been a tough year, and I think the fan base is in. I don't want to say impatient. They're rightfully impatient and frustrated. And the winning needs to start happening. Probably not going to be this year, but at least next year. So where do you see the miscalculations from the beginning of the season? Yeah, like they didn't address the wing forward room, guys. Like there was just, you know, you're counting for a large portion of the year, guys. Asar Thompson had the second most field goal attempts on this team. Now, Boyan wasn't wow. playing at the time, but that's not fair to put a SAR in that spot. That's not what he does well. Even any rookie, really, right? Like, I think we would agree. Most rookies, not maybe any rookie. Victor is obviously able to do it. They just didn't get floor spacing. They didn't have the wing forwards. And we're and they didn't, the floor spacing came from the big man position as well. We've seen, hey, yeah, from the outside, well. Mike Muscala and Danilo Gallinari. How does that make sense? Well, they can at least theoretically space the floor. Simone Fontecchio. Why does that make sense? Well, he's a wing that can space the floor. And so I think you're starting to see that maybe they learn from the mistakes this offseason. Do you think there are any, like, there's always a handful of teams, um, maybe, you know, plus or minus two, uh, any given season that's working on a rebuild. Are there any things, I mean, you know, you see similar ish timelines with like the Rockets, for example, with like, I mean, the Pacers, not the magic are always a team, right? Do you see any, any things? I mean, there, there's of course, like the hand you're dealt and some of the luck that you get that goes, um, either way, but comparing like decisions and planning, are yeah. there any pitfalls or cautionary tales here from Detroit? Yeah, I think Houston is the, the one that stands out to me the most. And I, I will listen, guys, I keep my own receipts. I say this all the time. I didn't understand what the Rockets did in the offseason. I was like, what are we doing? Like, we give Fred Van Vliet all this money after we draft Amin Thompson. We give mm. Dylan Brooks this money when we have Tari Eason and we draft Cam. I'm a huge Cam Whitmore guy, you know? So it's like, but it's turned out perfect in terms of those guys do what the Rockets need for the Rockets to find out how good their young players truly are, right? And in some cases, that's been a good thing. Alperin Shingun has really been good. Amin and Cam have been able to come along slowly and now are getting their minutes for Jalen Green. And it depends on who you ask. Maybe you're seeing that like, man, maybe he's not going to be as efficient ever as what you want. Now he's still young. He can improve. But my point is the Pistons didn't even have the roster guys to find out and properly judge. Is Cade Cunningham a number one guy on a really good team? How good is Jaden Ivey? What can a star be in the role that he needs to be in, et cetera, et cetera. That was, you asked this, Justin, that was the ultimate miscalculation. They didn't put the right guys in place. Some of it due to injury. Monte Morris missed a bunch of time. Boyan missed some time for a while to really find out who their young guys are and what they can be. Um, I want to ask you about Kay Cunningham and just from a psychological standpoint, what has this season kind of done to him in terms of just the constant losing? And maybe you could speak to the rest of the roster as well, because you follow this team daily. 
what does that do to the squad? How do they rally and find any positives to, through practice or even games that they get blown out or they lose closely? Like, is there any sense of optimism or is there kind of like a sense of dread throughout this this whole tenure here? Yeah, so I, I think it, it, I want to be clear here. Like my co-host Amari, you know, he's the true beat writer on sure. the free press, right? And so I actually live in Kansas. Um, I was at a game in Denver. So I don't have that kind of insider perspective that he would. So I'm just kind of judging from games. It's actually stayed better than what you would imagine, right? Mm. Like the, that losing streak almost became like, how can we rally around each other to get this monkey off our back? And then, you know, Monty Williams has taken some heat, to be quite honest, guys, from the fan base. He was, at the time, made the highest po highest paid coach in the NBA. You know, I, I know since then, Pop has got his contract and all of that. But, you know, whenever you come in and you expect big changes and the team still isn't winning and he did what he did. Like, Jay Nivey, I give a lot of credit to Jay Nivey, guys. He had a really good rookie year. He's the number five overall pick. And he got put into the second unit for I don't mean to throw shade at Killian Hayes, but for Killian Hayes, who hasn't been that good in his career, and he handled it, nothing negative in the media. I think that's one thing in general, even over the last four years, guys, even when Dwayne Casey was the head coach, there hasn't been a whole lot of that stuff like where, oh, they lost the locker room or guys are saying – Cade has come out in support of Monty Williams in some of his post games. Cade has said, this is on me. I got to play better and then gone out and done it. One thing I've always loved about Cade Cunningham is his maturity and really what I thought about his intangibles in terms of being the face of the franchise. So I'm sure there's things behind closed doors that we don't always see, but for the most part, I feel like from watching the games, it's still pretty positive from those guys. So what's going to give with Monte Williams with that negative feedback? I mean, if next season goes the same way, he has a huge contract. I mean, what happens in terms of this franchise ultimately? Because, you know, coaches are usually the scapegoat, but at the same time, he has his gigantic contract. If I had to put my money on it, like I would say Troy Weaver, like I, I would say there's a shakeup in the front office before there's a shakeup with the coaching staff, right? Like, so Troy Weaver came in, Dwayne Casey came in. Dwayne Casey's gone. So my guess is like you would make a move with the front office because you've made the move with the head coach. Like that would just be my guess. I have no like insider information there. I'll also say I've been trying to reserve judgment on Monte Williams. I don't love his rotation stuff. Here's the thing. Jaden Ivey's defense has gotten better. It was not good as a rookie and it's gotten a lot better this year. Was that directly from Monty bringing him off the bench and whatever? I don't know. But if it was, like, it, it was a positive move in the long run. He runs some really nice after-timeout sets and stuff like that. So I think it's way too early to truly judge Monty in terms of what he is for a coach for this organization because I think we're starting to see them put the players in place that fit what he does offensively. I should also say that Dan Burke was hired to be the defensive guy on this staff. And because of personal reasons that we don't know specifics about, but, you know, he keeps his business to his business. I think we all understand that. Coach like three games this year, guys. So I think the defensive stuff is kind of like we're not, you know, we're not really sure why that's in such flux because he would have been the guy running the defense. Yeah, it's interesting that insight about the front office, because usually, you know, traditionally it kind of goes the other way where you bring in your guy and front office has control of that. Usually the coach goes down 
um, with the front office or um, it doesn't usually happen the other way around. So that's curious timing, but makes sense given that Monty Williams hasn't had a lot of time on the franchise. Yeah. And honestly, there was a little bit of disconnect through the hiring. And again, this is just me on the outside, but like there was a lot of talk of like, did Troy Weaver want Monty Williams or not? Or did he have somebody else that he was a little more interested in? And, you know, I think it's been well documented that, you know, Monty essentially kind of said no with the first offer. And then they came back with some more money, money and, and stuff like that. And, you know, so th there's a little bit of insight to there. So I will say this. I still feel like Troy Weaver probably is getting more heat from the fan base, like just the fan base than Monty Williams, you know, and, and Troy's been around. He broke it down. Now he's trying to build it back up. There's been some miscalculations. Hopefully, like I said, he's kind of learned from those things. And honestly, with a couple of these moves at the deadline, I wonder if it is like, hey, we didn't have enough wings. We didn't have enough floor spacing. We need a stretch big and the value of that in today's NBA. So um, it'll be interesting kind of how it moves forward. And if things, it, it's a great question, Justin, like what if it doesn't work? Some at some point, some some changes are going to have to be made. Right. And I would lean more towards the front office before the coaching staff. But that's just my perspective. You mentioned the deals that just went down. So I feel it, it would be criminal for me not to ask your initial thoughts and reactions on these drill, uh, these deals that went down. So uh, can you just give us breakdown of what went down to this point? We still have you know, uh, a little less than a day before the trade deadline concludes. Um, what's going on in Detroit? Yeah, so the first move today was Simone Fontecchio from the Jazz comes in. The Pistons send out Kevin Knox, Gabriel Prashida, who was a pick a couple years ago that's overseas right now. Um, oh, man, I just had a brain fart. And, and a pick and a second-round pick this year. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, it, it's probably going to be early 30s because it's the better of – the Wizards or the Grizzlies. So you're looking at number 32, number 33, something like that. A valuable 2024 pick, depending on how you feel about the 2024 draft. So that was the first move today. This again kind of speaks to, I think some people look at that as like, man, you're giving up a very high second round pick for Fontecchio, but man, he's a wing slash forward who I think can guard a little bit. He's not a lockdown guy, right? But he spaces the floor. He's an older player. And I think a lot of pushback is, why are the Pistons selling off draft capital? But like I said earlier, you got to find out what Cade and Jaden Ivey are. What is Jalen Duran? What is Asar Thompson? And a guy like him, he can come in, Fontecchio, and, and give you floor spacing. He's an older player, second year in the NBA, but he's 28 years old. He's a restricted free agent. It's a low qualifying offer, so it doesn't mess with the cap space this offseason. So I... I like the idea of the player coming to Detroit. I think that's a very valuable pick. I'm still not sure where I land on like just the value of that trade, but I feel like he was a guy that was valued by teams around the league. And so maybe that's what it took to get him to Detroit. I think he will be a longer term. Like I think he's going to get another contract and be in Detroit for four or five years. That, yeah, that sounds like decent value there. I mean, any any apprehension or hesitancy when you know you're making a deal with Danny Ainge, who <laughs> who has made some you know uh, pretty pretty favorable <laughs> deals in the past for his his own interests. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I found myself going today, man. Like, did the Jazz just fleece the Pistons? And they played Fontecchio, you know, all these minutes and stuff just to kind of showcase him and, you know, get somebody to quote-unquote overpay or whatever. And again, like, I looked at the guy before he came to the NBA, and he has a sh solid shooting track record over the last couple of years before he came to the NBA. And really, like, if that's what he caps at as a – big wing who can really space the floor and provide adequate quality defense. I still think it works. Here's the other thing about that pick. I think really the biggest question is, is this the most value you could get for pick number 32 or 33, right? For the Pistons, I don't hate them giving up a 2024 second round pick because they already have so many young guys and you're going to have a top five pick in this class also. So how many of these young guys can you prioritize and give playing time when you also want to mix in some vets here and there? So for me, trying to consider the value isn't as much as how important was that pick to Detroit? It's did Troy Weaver get the most value for that pick that he possibly could? Lots of other rumors uh, circling around Detroit. I mean, some um, concerning Killian Hayes. <laughs> what do you expect, you know, moving forward? What do you think, um, I guess, is realistic that may happen, other players that may move? And, you know, what are what are the needs that you think are realistic that the team can address in part at this deadline? Yeah, and so I just want to admit, like, Monte Morris got traded to the Timberwolves as well for yes. Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton, and a 2030 second-round pick. And so they did recoup a second-round pick in that deal. They traded out a 2027 second-round pick this offseason to acquire Monte Morris. Um, you know, it, it was a, a – I think that move actually made sense, like a veteran point guard. Monte was just hurt a lot of the season. So I'm not surprised that – you know, that's not a one-for-one one second round pick trade, you know, 2027 for 2030. Shake Milton, Troy Brown, like who knows? They're both um, non-guaranteed contracts for next year. So they, they could be looked at as expiring deals. And I think they will play in the rotation for the Pistons. So I just wanted to mention that because I think it plays into a potential another move in terms of does Alec Burks get moved? So I think, I think Boyan, if you had to ask me, if I had to put a significant amount of money to me and bet on it, I think Boyan Bogdanovich may actually stay on this roster. I could see them keeping him through the deadline and actually keeping him this offseason and turning him into a true expiring deal and then eventually move him at the deadline next season. I, I think if they were going to trade him, they would have done it last year when the value would have been higher for Boyan. I think they value what he brings to this team. Whether that's right or wrong, that's my feeling. I think what we could see is Alec Burks is a name because Marcus Sasser has played really well. And then now like Shake Milton can come in and play some backup guard minutes. I'm not saying he's as good as Alec Burks, obviously, but he can take some of those minutes. I would see one of Danilo Gallinari or Mike Mascala getting moved. And then I do think Killian Hayes, I, I still think Killian Hayes ends up getting moved. It sounds like his representation wants him on another team. And it just kind of seems like guys, his time in Detroit has run out and he needs a change of scenery for himself. Even, you know, if for Detroit. Bryce, uh, we always ask insiders and experts like yourself um, to take us behind the scenes in terms of the fan base of NBA teams. So I just want to ask you about the Pistons fans and what makes Pistons fans so unique compared to the rest of just the NBA? Not only just with this season, but just kind of the, the history of just Detroit and just the, the feedback that you get on your podcast. Like what separates this fan base compared to um, the other fan bases within the NBA? 
I mean, I feel like they're very dedicated. They're very committed. They're like, they're rabid fans. I mean, I'll tell you, we recorded live on Monday night. This is a team that's six and 40 or six and 41, whatever it was at the time. I realized we're trade deadline week and we had some, of we had the best live viewer audience we've had all season long. And it's like, this is a six win team. And these people are still tuning in to listen and watch. They ask quite like my DMS are flooded all the time with people, you know, you know, and, and I'm a small player in this game, right? Like I'm not even close to one of the biggest content creators in the Pistons community. So I can't imagine what it's like for my co-host Amari or James Edwards, the third at the athletic or coup over at locked on Pistons. And I can't name all the great content creators. That's the other thing. There are so many good Pistons podcasts and people turn out and support all of them. Like it's, it's amazing. And so I, I do think they're very committed and passionate about the Pistons. And it's because of that history, they get very offended. And I, I think rightfully so that sometimes it's called like a, a poverty franchise. It's like this franchise has won three NBA championships. What are, what are we talking about <laughs> yeah, here? Like there offensive. is some, <laughs> yes, there is some rich history here. I mean, the going some to work, the most the iconic work. titles too. Sorry to yeah. cut yes, you off. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so it's like, c- come on, like you can't deny that they've fallen on hard times, but let's not act like this team hasn't won something. This organization hasn't won something. And so, and, and they, they love their sports. You should have seen this fan base about the Detroit lions this year. And rightfully so, but I think that's truly what it is. They are so passionate because again, as someone who produces content, it's like, dang, this team has six wins. They're on a 28-game losing streak. Are people even going to listen to us anymore? Are they even going to care? And they still come in. Our numbers are still good. All of that. So it's about the passion, guys. Like, this fan base is passionate. And I can't imagine what it'll look like if this team, when this team is winning some games and is good. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, it's it's hard to put it in words, but there there's almost like a groundswell of excitement, you know, when these iconic franchises i mean you know i don't know about you bryce justin and i grew up watching 90s basketball and and we're very familiar with that era and and so the the team brands i think have a certain meaning tied to them and a lot of that is nostalgia too but you know like justin's a bulls fan when the bulls get going i mean you can feel that and for obvious reasons um and, and there's the pistons still feel like to me one of those franchises where there's there's kind of like a deeper level of care when things start moving around or even when opinions uh, positive or negative are thrown around about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed. You know, Kate Cunningham played on the select USA Select team this year or this past offseason, right? And when reports came out that he played really well, it was blowing up on all the national podcasts, you know? So, like, even again, yet again, a team that's not very good is still getting the attention and the ears and the mouths and the content of people. So, I think you're right. Uh, Justin, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I recorded with Sam. Uh, just, you know, a few days ago, and we brought up the Chicago Bulls and how that's an organization that means something. There's something behind that organization. I'm also currently like right before we started recording, I'm watching the Bulls Timberwolves game from Tuesday night. Um, This is a fun one, man. Kobe White is really good, Justin, man. You guys got to be excited about what that young man has done this year. So I don't know what you're going to do at the dead. I'm more interested in what the Bulls do at the deadline than the Pistons, to be honest with you, but 
it's funny you bring that up because we were just talking about that and Kobe White too. And I don't know. I'm just kind of over this team. I like their young core, but yes. to me, I besides Demar, I think he's been awesome. Other than that, I'm kind of over kind of even Alex Caruso and certainly Zach Levino kind of a lot of over these guys, to be completely honest. I'm ready for a complete rebuild. Just and if they have to get rid of the young core, then so be it. I mean, I like the young core, but at the same time, I just don't see this being the nice seat or the AC, how that really does anything for Chicago. And it means if they're terrible for the next few years, but they build through the draft and so be it, in my opinion. No, that's, that was kind of our take. And I think like we just both said, we don't, I said, I think Caruso gets moved because I think they're going to get an offer. They can't refuse. Like that was, that was my take. Sam was like, Bryce, they've already got an offer. They shouldn't have refused. So what are they going to get that, that actually puts them there? Uh, You know, and I I feel like there was some real truth to the Zach Levine, Detroit Pistons thing before the most recent injury as well. So it'll be interesting if it gets revisited this off season or not. Um, but yeah, I, Chicago is definitely one of those teams that I think everybody has their eyes on for the next, you know, whatever it is now, like you said, 18 hours, you know, yeah. something like that. And I have a feeling all of us that want chaos and want, you know, woge bombs, I think we're going to get let down by the Chicago front office and they're going to kind of stand pat. I agree. Um, you mentioned Zach Levine and the rumors to him in Detroit. Again, there's the offseason. What is your feelings on that? Because I've certainly been down on Zach Levine besides just his dunk performances. Um, I think he's a solid player, but like as a leader of a franchise, I think those discussions are long gone. So him in Detroit, how does he fit in with that lineup? Is that a positive or do you see, see that being a detriment? So my thought on Levine was I would understand the idea behind a player like that, like a guy that can just go get a bucket, you know, take sure. a little bit of, here's the other thing. It depends on what they want to do with Boyan as well. They, this isn't quite as important if you keep Boyan, but if they were going to move Boyan or, or whatever, you kind of need a guy that can get a bucket just to take a little bit of pressure off Cade and Jaden. Jalen Duren isn't like a big time scorer, a star. That's not his game right now. And so I understood the idea behind it. But what I said is I wasn't going to be willing to give up a real asset for it. Like I wasn't giving up one of the four guys I just mentioned. They, they can't afford to give up any first round picks. Definitely. And so it's like, it didn't seem like for me, I assume Chicago wouldn't have wanted a complete salary dump where all they did was take expirings for Levine. And so I don't think it ever made sense in that way where it made sense though, was just like the idea of a, Somebody, ideally, probably somebody a little bit bigger, like a true like three, like a wing, but somebody that can really come in and get buckets did make sense to me for this roster. That makes sense. Bryce, what are you seeing and thinking in terms of the Eastern Conference and how the competition is stacking out there? I mean, it it seems like with the uh, tumultuous, let's say two weeks that the Milwaukee bucks have had that, you know, the Celtics are like the clear front runner and certainly Vegas supports that. But, you know, what are you seeing and expecting as we get towards the all-star break and then past it as, as far as how the Eastern conference is going to shake out? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to pick against the Celtics right now. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm really interested to see if they add some depth to their second year. Well, they, they traded for Xavier Tillman. So they added some big man depth. I would like to see them get like some wing depth, but that was a, a nice little move for them there. You know who I I'm really interested Cleveland and New York, man, like those teams could be 
And I know, and understandably so, some some people don't believe in them when it comes to playoff time, and I get it. I think Donovan Mitchell has been incredible this year. Jarrett Allen was obviously awesome. If, you know, Mobley comes back in, I think he's played well since he returned. Garland working his way back in. That's an interesting team. And the Knicks, if Mitchell Robinson gets back and healthy and can get anywhere close to what he was pre-injury and you got Brunson doing what he's doing. I may owe Jalen Brunson an apology for how many series he can be the best player in, in the playoffs. OG defending the way he is. I love me some Isaiah Hartenstein. They have so many minutes at, at the center position with those two guys. That's an interesting team too. Like it could get real interesting, especially if the bucks never like come together the way we've kind of all expected. I still think the Celtics are the favorite, but behind that, and of course, like, can we count out the Miami Heat come playoff time? Like, no matter what the regular season does, I think we'd all be crazy to do that. So it might end up a little more interesting than we thought whenever we, I think at one point we all felt, what, guys, it was a three-team race, right? The, yeah, the Celtics, right. the Bucks, and the Sixers. And unfortunately, in the middle of a historic season, truly offensively anyway, you know, Joel Embiid goes down. Yeah, and looking at the Easter conference, since we have like all the all-stars in place and everything. Um, what are your thoughts in, in terms of those selections on the Eastern conference side? I mean, there was kind of like, I guess you could put it as like a bailout for the Trey young outrage in the all-star selections, you know, unfortunately due to injury, but um, in terms of the selections that you saw there, I mean, was there much outrage you felt seeing how the reserves played out there or any kind of unsung players in the East? It felt to me like there was a little bit more of that outrage on the Western Conference yeah. side, but on, on the Eastern Conference side, what did you see from there? No, I, I didn't have anything crazy. I'll be honest. Like um, I've told Sam this, like uh, he always brings on Andrew select whenever they do award stuff. Cause I tell Sam, like, I just don't care about awards. Like it's just not my thing. Um, and I know it's cool. Like I'll watch all-star weekend. I, I get it. Like that's not to downplay it or anything like that. It's just not yeah. something I get into. Um, I do think Trey young is good. It was interesting. I, you know, what's Trey two of Trey young's biggest knocks are his efficiency, right. And his defense. I went and looked through the numbers. And it's like Damian Lillard starting in the East and his efficiency isn't that much different than Trey Young this season, this season, yeah. right? And he gets to play with Giannis, which Trey Young does not get to do. And it's not like Damian Lillard's defense is something to be celebrated about. So this isn't meant as, as Damian Lillard hate. It's just like Trey Young, you know, if Damian Lillard can be a starter, then why can't Trey Young have a pretty quality, you know, argument for being in this? Um, but over, like, I love the year Paulo Bancaro's having. I had him number one in that class, um, and he's played really well. Obviously, Chet's been awesome. Obviously, that's on the West. I get it. But um, I, I think Paulo's had a really good year. And, you know, Jalen Brunson got the love he deserved, obviously. And so I, I don't have any crazy takes or uh, I don't want to say outrage, but, you know, anything, any players, I'm like, oh, snub, you know, anything like that. So, Bryce, this has been a fantastic chat. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, the podcast that you run, any other projects that you're um, focused on as well. I'm going to go a little long here because sure. I take pride in making sure I guest and those episodes always go longer than what the hosts say they're going to. So like when you guys were saying, oh yeah, we'll keep it to 15 or 30 minutes. I'm like, game on guys. Like there's no way I'm going on a pod and we're keeping it to less than 30 minutes. So <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was like, not a chance, but 
yeah, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Um, you know, I do Pistons a lot, but I, I've worked my way into more just general NBA because of the Game Theory podcast and a ton of NBA draft stuff. I have a whole big board and scouts and all of that stuff. And actually today I started a sub stack. It's going to be just Pistons stuff right now. But eventually, I'll start putting my NBA draft content on there as well. So, um, Motor City Hoops at Substack.com, and um, yeah, I think that's it. The, the Pistons Pulse podcast. If if you're a Pistons fan that's not listening to it currently, or an NBA fan that wants in, you know Pistons content and Game Theory, I guess I should shout out Game Theory as well, right? I'm over there quite a bit. So, Game Theory podcast with Sam Bassini, guys, you're you're amazing. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bryce. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology, presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.